Opinions and statements expressed in the following program do not necessarily reflect those of WWDB, its staff, or management. Inspirational women are increasingly popular in the news and media, but many go unheard and their stories are never told. Women to Watch with Susan Rocco captures the stories of many women who truly make a difference. Women to Watch is the vehicle for developing new leaders, encouraging younger generations, and in building self-esteem for future entrepreneurs. Good afternoon, everyone, and thanks so much for joining us for another week of Women to Watch here on WWDB Talk 860 and womentowatch.net. Um, Thrilled to be back in the studio. Had a really uh, wonderful weekend in San Antonio, Texas at a uh, leadership summit, which I'll try to um, tell you all a little bit about from our, our website and social media. We have a chock-full show today. Um, I have three Dynamo women joining us this afternoon. And before we get started, uh, let me just give you our call-in number in case you're listening and you want to chime in and join the conversation. You can always call in to 888-329-3306. And be sure to, uh, be sure to like us and, and follow us on social media, our Facebook and Twitter pages, where we have a lot of information about our upcoming guests. Um, and uh, you can always tune in if you're not near a radio at womentowatch.net. Uh, so this afternoon, we, we do have our in-house um, executive leadership advisor, Tish Squalero, who's going to be joining us every month um, to talk about all kinds of things related to, to leadership and business. And uh, one of the things I want to remind you is that she she wrote an incredible book. She knows how much I love her book. Um, I actually keep it with me when I can because um, I think it's it's such a smart reminder about uh, thought patterns and emotional tendencies that we have that kind of keep us stuck and hold us back. And so what we decided is each month we're going to take one of those um, thought patterns and she's going to break it down for us and and tell us how we can work through it um, when we're trying to do our best in business and, and pursue leadership. So we're going to talk about fear today, which of course is a commonality amongst Every human being and, and, and leaders in particular. Uh, welcome to the show, Tish. Hey, Susan. Happy New Year. Thank you. Happy New Year to you. Where are you today? I'm uh, driving in Pennsylvania, so I'm a local today. Okay, good, good. And you're coming in loud and clear, which is always good. Oh, great. Great. So, um, yeah, we, you know, your, your book, Head Trash, um, is, again, if I can just say it in a snippet, it really, t- um, talks about thought patterns and emotional tendencies that tend to keep us stuck. And, um, you have really in a beautifully, um, simplistic way wrote this book so that people, number one, recognize them and then, um, can be aware and find ways to deal with them when they creep up in our, our day to day, whether it's for professional reasons or personal reasons. And fear is number one. Fear is at the top. So tell us, um, you know, a little bit about that and how we can, uh, push through it. Sure. And thank you, Susan. I do appreciate that. You know, when writing the book and my, my course, in my career wasn't necessarily book writer check box, um, but I do love working with people on change. And I found that 
the biggest uh, holdback, the thing that became the largest obstacle whenever going through any sort of change, and change can be good, change can be bad, it could be anything that's new and different, emotions were always the thing that seemed to step right in front, and either you knew how to handle it or you didn't. And I thought for this year, as we embark together, I want to give back and let people think about, you know, on a monthly basis, the emotions that they have that really fuel their passion but sometimes also hold them back. And yes, fear, out of all the seven we're going to talk about, seems to be the one that's very common because it's, it's very relevant. I mean, we're all a little afraid of something, and we all kind of want to be cautious in what we do. However, those are healthy tendencies of that emotion, and those are all good things. Mm-hmm. But when we think about fear in a way in which it holds us back, and we talk about ourselves when we say we shoulda, coulda, or I wish I did, or if I only, those then tend to be the fear that we call in the book, and I would say in everyday life, cross the line from going very healthy emotion to an unhealthy emotion. And that's where we got the word head trash from. It's because when something's unhealthy or garbage, it begins to clog up and stop you or get in your way. And so head trash really was made to talk about those differences of when it goes from unhealthy, from healthy to actually unhealthy. And we don't always see it. And so what I want to work with everyone on, on a, you know, one-on-one as we go through each one basis is when does it become unhealthy? So fear becomes unhealthy when you actually stop doing things or you find yourself with a brick wall and you're not making decisions, but you know you should. When you're avoiding problems and you're looking for others to come up with answers or when you look to always get other people to kind of drive when you know it should be you. I mean, that's where your own fear has stopped you from making good choices. In some cases, it could hurt your credibility if you're in a leadership role. But even if you're in a personal role, it could stop you from doing the things you really want to do. And then you become resentful later that you didn't do them. Mm -hmm. So you've got to be very mindful that it's okay to be afraid. And I always say to myself, I jump into something new all the time with the, oh, my goodness, I don't know if I could do this. And so we all are going to have those ranting conversations with ourselves. Right. However, I then stop myself and say, well, what's the worst that can happen? Or, you know what, I'm not planning to get 100% right, but I at least have to try. So what I've done is replaced the emotion of being very stagnant and not doing anything, stopping myself with that brick wall, to actually cautiously think through, well, what if I didn't do it? Then how would I feel? Or what if I wasn't focused on getting it all right at one time, but I took it in baby steps and at least tried to get started. I don't Mm -hmm. have to solve for everything, but Mm -hmm. if I can solve for one thing at a time, maybe I can get through this whole thing. So that's really one of the ways to actually look at healthy emotions that go unhealthy is let's find a replacement thought process or emotion to kind of put back in there because no one should get rid of their emotions. That's what makes us human. That's what actually defines who I am versus who you are, Susan. So our emotions are good. But if they make us resent things or not make us do the stuff we should be doing, eventually they're going to get to be controlling us, and you don't want your emotions to control you. 
You know, I that's it's so true, and I love when you explained. You spoke about fear um, in previously when you were on the show, and I love how you described that it. The reason it's a good emotion is because it can alert us to danger. So you would never want to be fully without fear. Um, and I think when you know we're talking about fear and holding people back, I think often uh, you know when women in particular think they need to go out in the world and not have that fear, so they're constantly. Um, battling against it, but that it can. I don't even. No, I agree. I'm not even sure if it's fear that we feel, but we feel we have to always know it all or get it right. Yeah. Right. And I don't think that's how a man feels about doing it. They're actually going to just go give it a try. And so my view is, I always say, just give it a try. I mean, we're not going to get it 100 percent right, but I don't think everyone else is watching us to get it 100 percent right because no one even knows what 100 percent right looks like usually. That's right. Has anybody ever? <laughs> I make many mistakes, but you sure. know what? I do learn from them, and sometimes that's a way to look at it as well, that you will learn something if we don't get it 100% right, something that will probably alter my next choice to be that much closer to being right. I mean, everything is a continuum, and you have to look at it that way. Nothing is an absolute, and that's the pressures we sometimes put on ourselves, men, women, children. I work with, you know, a lot of uh, young professionals who put a lot of pressure on themselves to think that they have to be a certain way or know everything up front. And, you know, a lot of it is because fear is masking what it is that they're thinking about. And it's really just talking it through to say, you know, what if it isn't right? Is it the end of the world? What if you don't make always the right choice? Can you find the plan B to get yourself out of it? If you can think about that in advance. Which goes back to, you know, know what you need to know, plan what you're going to do before you act. You will always find yourself in a better situation to be in control. And at the end of the day, having control over ourselves is all we ever really get to be, you know, able to do. We don't want our emotions now to start controlling us. There's enough people who want to control us. The last thing we want to do is have our own emotions do it. Right. Yeah. Oh, I love the way you said that. Um, you know, I heard something real quick before we let you go. I heard something over the weekend that um, kind of stuck with me. This incredibly smart, funny, um, motivational coach woman. Her name is Latoya, and I wish I could think of her last name. She stood up and she was talking about fear. And she said, you know, we're born with only two fears, fear of loud noises and fear of falling. She said, when you think about a baby, right, those are the only two fears you have at birth from the beginning. And then all of a sudden life takes over and, you know, experience and people come into your life and you start to to develop these fears. Um, So it's a good thing just to kind of think about your, you know, go back and think about that time before you had any of those fears. And it kind of helps you sort out where the fears developed and why, um you know, you you really should try to put them in perspective and understand that, you know, they're both good and bad. Yeah, and I would say make a list. I mean, what are you really afraid of? You might find that what you think is causing you the most pain and fear is not really what you're afraid of. And when you find out what that is, then you can actually work on that. And that's why, to me, list-making always seems to aid to clear my head. Mm-hmm. And I give it as advice to all the people that I work with as well. When you put it down on paper, it seems to crystallize in real time. And everything doesn't either look so bad or you can actually define what it is you're trying to say. And before I let you go, I do want to offer all of your listeners that 
you know, you may want to pick up the book, but you may not have the opportunity. We offer a online free index, which everyone is allowed to take, and there's no marketing attached to it, so you don't have to worry about, you know, unleashing your contact. No one's going to really reach you. But what it will do is allow you to start to look at where are those areas of fear or insecurity. I mean, there's seven emotions that we're going to go through over the next couple of months. And it will be great if you actually had an understanding of, well, where do I fall in the spectrum? So if you go to my website, it's headtrash911.com, mm-hmm. headtrash911.com. And I'm sure it's on, you know, obviously your site and you can find it on my site. It'll give you 28 simple multiple choice questions. As you answer them, you're really defining what emotions get in your way. And at the very end, instantly, you're going to get a report back that tells you, out of the seven, what are your top two? And numerically, what's the severity of how much are they really getting you in a place you don't want to be? And at least give you a starting point. I mean, to me, I feel that 95% of where we're going, the knowledge of what is it that I'm actually doing, is more important than the cure of how am I going to fix it. Definitely. Right. First, first you got to recognize and then you can, you know, do the exercises and, and work on it. So um, that's terrific. Always great, great advice, Tish. Thank you so much for joining us while you're on the road. And um, oh, well, listen, you have a great day and a great show and I'll talk to you soon. Thank you. We'll talk to you soon as well. Um, bye bye. Bye bye. Uh, we also, so waiting in the wings, I guess I'll say, is of course, um, our wonderful Dr. Beth Dupree, who is, um, Vice President of Holy Redeemer Health Systems and a sponsor of the show. I'm so grateful to Holy Redeemer for supporting women to watch. And our guest this afternoon is Pernilla Fisher Bolter. Uh, Pernilla is the President and CEO of Kisser Up International Trade Routes Incorporated. And, uh, I'll note that it's named after the small day Danish town that she grew up in, which is something I just learned today. I was that question was at the top of my list. And uh, Pernilla, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Susan. I appreciate the opportunity to be on here and joining you. Thank you. I, I'm really looking forward to it. We, we have had some correspondence back and forth, and I I feel as though it's been a long time coming that we finally have you on the show. Yeah, thank you. Last year was a tough year for me. So I know, I know. Do you want to do you want to talk about that or? Uh, yes, certainly. We had a little detour, I guess, for my last schedule appearance. That's right. Uh, I was uh, walking back from a business meeting downtown Halifax in Nova Scotia, Canada, uh, and got hit by a tractor trailer. So that put me out of commission for a little bit. That's right, but it didn't keep you down long. No, no, I was very fortunate um, to not uh, not get injuries that would uh, would affect my mobility in the long term. Um, I got a concussion and I was bruised and all this, but. Uh, but as you know yourself, you have a company to run, you have people to look after, you have things to do, and mm-hmm. mentally um, getting back in the game was important for me. So I learned that having an office on the third floor without an elevator can be challenging for many reasons. <laughs> uh, but yeah, now I'm back at it and, and happy and 
and thankful to to everybody that I'm here and able to to be here. Yeah, I, I, and I'm so happy for you as well. I want to give the listeners just a little bit um, of of a better sense of you and your work and who you are. First of all. Um, you speak five languages, which I think is extraordinary. You hold a master's degree in business and economics from the Copenhagen School of Business. And you're originally from Denmark, um, but you uh, moved to – you're now in Canada and uh, moved to Canada in 1998. So I want to – you know, we're going to talk about um, Kiss Her Up International, but I'd love to hear you talk briefly about your years growing up in Denmark, um, what those were like in the small town of, I guess, is it Kisserup, the town, the name of the town? Exactly, it yeah. is, yes. Um, well, Kisserup is a very small town. Uh, I would say there's probably about 60 people if everybody's home. <laughs> so that is very small. Yeah. And, uh, and by the time I had named my company after the town um, in 1998, it's all spam filters and that sort of stuff wasn't so predominant. So, of course, now having a domain name called KISS uh, does that we often end up in junk filters at people. Oh, right, right. <laughs> but growing up in a in a small town was a a wonderful privilege for me. My I have a twin brother, a big brother, and a big sister, mm-hmm. and my siblings were born in Greenland. So uh, so when my parents were expecting us, they returned from Greenland and bought a little house that's over 300 years old in this little town called Kisorp. So I got to grow up in the countryside with farm animals and having a garden and, and all the privileges that come with living in the countryside. Tell me, what, um, what were your aspirations as a young girl? What made you pursue your master's in business and economics? Oh, I wanted to be a veterinarian when I was very young, um, but but I had a hard time with animals suffering. So I wanted to help them, but I didn't want to deal with the hurt ones. I didn't want to have to put animals down. You collect birds and all this when you are a child. So I decided I wanted to be a um, physiotherapist and help people. Mm-hmm. And once I graduated uh, business school, I actually took a year in a physiotherapy clinic as an admin assistant to try to get a feel for what it would be. And the the couple that had the clinic had um, it was in an elderly home, so they would have residents of the home in the morning, and then they would have professional sports team in the afternoon. Um, and to me. The big difference between seeing these professional athletes walk in uh, in pain and not being able to move something and walk out after two treatments and being able to be back on the on the field again was awesome. But it was equally hard for me to see that I couldn't do more for the elderly. Mm-hmm. So. So I wanted to get a whole fresh perspective on my ambitions, and I went to Australia hitchhiking to find out what I wanted to do. <laughs> that's and that's bold. Came, that's a bold adventure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it was a lovely adventure, and it's probably very instrumental in why I am where I am today. But 
that made me decide that I wanted to deal with the, with the world as my playground. And that, um, that put me into the world of business. But I didn't start my university education until later on. In a lot of the Scandinavian countries, it is, um, it is custom that you take a couple of years between what I guess in North America is grade 11 and 12. So once you complete grade 11 and 12, you go out for a year or two years and either travel or work before you get to university. A very different thinking from where I am in Canada today. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a, you know that reminds me a little bit of uh, the school my son is in, which is a, a co-op school, so that you are experiencing both real-world learning and you know in classroom. And I think it's exactly. a yeah, it's a, it's exactly. a yeah. smart thing to do. It's tough to know when you're 16 to 18 what you want to do for the rest of your life. Yes, right? yes, absolutely. So you need to learn what you don't like as well as what you do like. And you need to be able to say to to critically ask some questions about things and positions. And I think I think a lot of of, of youth today in a lot of the countries that are working are feeling this tremendous pressure to go to university right away and know what they want to do, mm-hmm. but they don't. And they end up taking one, two, or three separate different degrees and they feel frustrated that they don't have the answer to everything. Um, but, you know, as your previous caller said, who has the answer to everything? That's right. That's right. Um, that is a lot of pressure. And I think that, you know, fortunately, the good news is I think we're talking about that more openly today. You know, we're looking at our educational system and, and kind of rethinking some things that have, have worked and things that haven't. Yes. Yeah. Yes, I think so. you're, you're absolutely correct. It has been much more a dialogue uh, and much more accepted that, that youth isn't necessarily has a one-track career mind, but That's that right. they are assessing opportunities. That's right. Uh, one of my favorite stories that I read about you, Pernilla, um, and this really speaks to your fearlessness, I will say. Um, you were um, you were asked by a um, scallop, or I'm sorry, the, the story is that you spent two weeks on a scallop boat, but the reason that you did that was because a Nova Scotia-based fishing company um, had um, asked you to come in for business purposes and, and your services, and in order for you to get a better understanding of that particular industry, they asked you to go out on this uh, ship for two weeks with uh, yeah. with these men, and, and you, it seems, didn't hesitate. You jumped right on board and said, well, if that's what I need to do to learn about the fishing industry, I will do it. Can you talk about those? Yeah. T- I, when I came to Canada in 1998, um, I had a good education. I held an executive job in the IT industry in, in Europe and, uh, and felt pretty comfortable about myself and my professional career. Um, and that all changed when I came to Canada. <laughs> because in 1998, about 81% of uh, Canada's export was going exclusively to the United States. 
and nobody was really interested in looking at Europe. This is before the trade agreements were discussed uh, with, with any particular focus. So the things that I could bring to the table, my knowledge of the European market was not really of interest to, to the industry I wanted to work in, the IT industry. The IT industry was monopolized by a few um, crown corporations and international firms who did not have a focus on Europe. So I simply had to think about other ways, think out of the box and, and look at what could, what did I, what did I process that might be of interest to people and it wasn't that I was smart, it was that somebody looked at my CV in the fishing industry and said, oh, she's from the North Sea. Um, she must know something about fishing. Uh, she must know something about energy. These things are big in the North Sea. And of course, I knew nothing of any of those <laughs> Misperceptions, <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah. And, and I was allergic to seafood, you know. Right. It wasn't <laughs> so, so they had this company... Um, this company had an idea of trying to develop more sustainable fishing. And by doing that, they wanted to put a camera on the, on the bottom rakes that, that they used to um, catch scallops with or rake the scallops over the bottom to, to catch the scallops. And they wanted to have somebody with them to assess how this IT system was working and how it may long-term turn into a product that they could sell work worldwide. So my experience in IT, my experience in distribution um, was good, but I knew nothing about fishing, and they suggested I go out in a dragger to see how it really worked. And, yes, I was, I was worried for a couple of, I mean, it's absolutely, I was shaking when I went aboard the boat, but it was one of the best experiences in my life. Mm, I'm sure, I'm sure. Um, Pernilla, tell me how you feel you, you've developed this kind of keen sense of cultural sensitivity that you have. Where did that come from? A lot of it, a lot of it came from my parents. A lot of it came from growing up in a very small country. Denmark has about 5.2 million people. Um, so of course there's an influx of people. And when you go somewhere, if you go three hours uh, in a car, you're in Germany, right? Mm-hmm. So, so I think the biggest influence early on was the flow of people in my parents' life that affected us children. My, my dad was an editor for the national newspaper and my mother worked for um, the government of Greenland. So there was a constant flux of people coming in from everywhere. My high school had people from Australia coming and teaching. So the world was an exciting place and people were interesting when they were different. They, when they were scary, they were interesting. Oh, and, and that's so. That's the that's the key. You know, you were not. Um, there was no fear there of of meeting all of these people from different backgrounds. It was more interesting and exciting for you. 
it was exciting and then when when I came to Canada one of the things that I assumed totally wrongly assumed was that uh, growing up uh, with a lot of, of of people who had the same sort of background uh, parent education friends like I did mm -hmm. that it would be very similar but it wasn't it was it was very different and I thought I had a grasp of the English language which I found out very quickly that I didn't I uh, I didn't know colloquial English um, and in the in the when you translate the things in your head in the in the Danish language there's no word for please which meant to a lot of people that I came across as very pushy and very mm. crass in my language right um, so so just living here just trying to create a new life here to me was a huge eye-opener Apart from not having a network, I didn't grow. I didn't move here with children, so I didn't naturally interact with other parents. Uh, I had no network in Canada, so I had to build it up. And it is—it's a small area of the east coast of Canada, so it's a lot of closed network. Um, and then all of a sudden, once I started to get success around the world. That became one of my big focus areas for my firm to have people assess culture as an opportunity, but also at times a barrier to trade, not just tariffs and logistics and visas. When we we're going to take a quick break, Pernilla. When we come back, I, I'd love to ask you about you know maybe some of the most difficult things that you have faced when trying to adapt to various cultures. And I'm going to let Dr. Beth Dupree chime in when we come back as well. She's done quite a bit of traveling. We'll be right back. There are 365 days to schedule a mammogram. Today is as good as any. Holy Redeemer Breast Care makes it easy. We offer the latest technology like 3D mammography, an automated breast ultrasound that help find cancers in dense breast tissue. Plus, our same-day readings mean same-day peace of mind. Make today the day you schedule a mammogram. It's easy to request an appointment online at holyredeemer.com slash mammogram. Since 1858, Mount St. Joseph Academy has been educating girls to be leaders, founders, and independent thinkers. Students are taught to be collaborative, courageous, compassionate, confident, and spiritual. In this student-centered environment, the young women are transformed by recognizing their own potential and are encouraged to use it to make a difference in the world. To learn more about Mount St. Joseph Academy, go to www.msjacad.org or call 215 2 
Welcome back, everyone, to another week of Women to Watch here on WWDB Talk 860 and womentowatch.net. Uh, we're having a wonderful conversation this afternoon with Pernilla Fisher-Bolter, who is the president and CEO of Kisser Up International Trade Routes, Incorporated, um, which is obviously what it what's in its name. Uh, it's a company where um, Pernilla is involved in international trade, and she does advising and consulting, and um, she makes a lot of deals happen, I should mention as well. And uh, just before the break, we were talking about the different cultural or the cultural differences, I should say, in um, that people face when they're doing business internationally. And uh, one of the things I was curious about is if there's one that stood out for you, Pernilla, in your travels and your your business dealings that you found to be more difficult than another and uh, as far as cultural um, things that you needed to adapt to, traditions. It's a very good question, Susan. There's, it's like it's like your previous conversations. There's risks. Um, there's risk you want to take. There's risk you want to mitigate, and there's risk that you do not want to touch. Um, when you have a firm like mine, and we, not by choice, but simply just because this is the way we work. We're all women, but one man. Uh, a lot of our consultants going out in the world and on the road on their own are women. Mm-hmm. And there are countries in the world where culturally we do not fit in. We do not fit in because some people do not want to negotiate with women or people do not see women as decision makers or religious beliefs that dictates that women in unmarried women and men cannot sit in the same room. So that precludes us from doing business in some markets. And we live with that. We do not pursue work in those markets. There are other markets where culturally we are very different and where safety is an issue, uh, but we, we pursue it. Let's take Papua New Guinea as an example, where we have conducted projects, we have at times had armed guards with us, we have uh, we've assessed the risk like eating and drinking local food. We, we do one thing consistently, no matter where we work. We always work with local people, so we never take on a project, big or small, without having a local partner. Somebody who, who who's looking out for you and kind of has your back, I guess. Well, somebody who can say there's tension around this issue, there's a new government, they say this. Um, these two organizations haven't gotten along for the last 10 years. Somebody who is not just somebody who meets us on the ground, but somebody that we work with. Um, because the majority of the, the 90 countries that we have worked in so far, we will return to. So, so we have consult. We have about 42 consultants in different countries that are subject matter experts. And if we go to to uh, into a market, to if we go to Poland or we go to Trinidad. We will engage those local consultants and say, this is the project that we're doing over the next year or the next three months. 
what role do you think you can have in this? What role do you like to have? What would you advise us to look out for? What should we take into account once we come on the ground? Who else should we engage? And they are the cultural filter. They are the one that enable us to do what we're good at because they're saying, here's how it should work. You cannot start a meeting talking business. You have to. Uh, in, when we went to China, uh, we were asked to go on three tours before we did anything else to establish a rapport with the people we were meeting with. And only after that could we actually sit down and start talking about what we may want it to achieve in our business. So without that local, locally engaged cultural filter and knowledge, we would not be able to do what we do. Right. Are, are you comfortable in those? Did it take you a while to become comfortable in those situations? I would imagine um, going into a room for a meeting, you know, where it's, it's not um, a culture that you are used to, that there would be some nerves there, that, that you might make a mistake in your communications. Oh, absolutely. I still make mistakes in, yeah. in, in both my own languages and, and many others. Mm-hmm. Uh, How do you get over that fear of, you know, or that nervousness, I'll say? Again, I think that I have had a huge advantage growing up in a very egalitarian society. Mm-hmm. Um, we didn't call our teachers by their last name. You know, in, in there used to be a joke that in Denmark there are they're all everybody's middle class is one rich guy and one poor guy and the poor guy hasn't filled up the forms yet um so so i've always felt comfortable in many situations i and i always learned when i don't know if i'm out of my league then ask questions never assume you know always ask a question and always say when you don't know yeah right that that's great advice always you know, circle. I've, I've, Go ahead. I think the the biggest thing for me to to overcome establishing um, myself as a business in a foreign country was that I wasn't relevant to people. I wasn't in the network. I wasn't in the old boys club. I mm-hmm. was. I couldn't. I didn't have a reference mark to someone. Mm-hmm. And if I've been from the United States, it would have been easier. She's from Philadelphia or she's from Chicago or, but I was from Denmark, which nobody had a reference point to. Yes. Um, so, so that has been, that has been more my struggle, uh, than my, my nervousness about doing things wrong. I know I make mistakes and my team, and everybody here knows it's perfectly legit to make mistakes as long as we learn from them and as long as we don't hurt anybody's feelings. Yes. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of the work that you do has helped some entrepreneurs, in particular women in, in developing countries. And I wonder if there's a story that um, uh, of an entrepreneur that, that you have helped in the past that, perhaps has stayed with you is, is one of your most proud accomplishments. Yeah, oh, there's many of those. To pick one is tough. Yeah. Um, we have, 
we have a number of lovely testimonials on our website that speaks to this and and again being being um, pretty modest about the role that we play because all we really do is enable people if, if we enable people to to find their own greatness or to find the legislation that enables them to export. It's not that we're doing the job for them. We're just transferring the knowledge. Um, but we had, in particular, we had women who have contacted us afterwards. I'm thinking about one in particular who wrote the, if not the best email I received in my life, um, who said that after she had grown in her ability as a businesswoman, established herself, and got a steady income. She could open the cupboards in her kitchen, and her children would have a choice of what to eat. Mm. Wow. Well, that certainly, you know, that that touches you. That's. Yeah, it does. Yeah. It 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 really does. You know, when we talk about, of course, on the show, we talk all, all the time about, you know, women and, and giving them opportunities and resources and trying to support and help them. Um, and this uh, summit that I attended this weekend that I mentioned in Texas, there were so many takeaways for me. This was a room full of women from all around the globe, each one of them doing something um, in their own way with their own business that supports other women. Um, one of the takeaways for me was uh, when we talked about, you know, deal making. Um, and I would love to hear your advice for women who perhaps are entrepreneurs and, um, you know, they're on their way up, they're emerging, um, but perhaps they struggle with, you know, closing the deal. So, in other words, if you're able to get into doors and be surrounded by the right people, um, in the end, if you can't close a deal, then that business, you know, transaction won't happen. What advice do you have for those women? Well, a good idea is to continue to listen to your show. Uh, <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> I think. Well, I think it's important. I think a lot of the, the the women who who are and have been on your show, I've listened to a number of the podcasts. Are, are women that are very openly sharing about that tough minute where you had to do this or you had to emerge from a situation of some kind. Yes. And I and I think the one thing that we probably have as the biggest issue as women is we think we have to do it all ourselves. Right. And right. if you are a very good business development person, if you're very good at networking and if you're very good at getting out there you may not be the best closer. So you may have to engage people who are better closest than you are. Um, so that's number one. You, you, if you're growing an organization, you can't do it all, and it shouldn't take a truck hitting you before you find out that if you don't have an organization that can sustainably grow without you being there every minute of every day, um, you, you're you're not doing everything right. That's right. Uh, but I think the the other uh, answer to that question is a little bit talking about the fear you talked about before I came on uh, that 
yes, you might be afraid of it. Yes, you may be afraid of asking for the order. Yes, you may be afraid of stating the price. But what do you have to lose? You, you don't have the order. You don't have the business. You don't have the connection. You don't have the... So you can't lose something you don't have. Right. In other words, if you don't if you don't make the ask, you won't have it either. But if you do, that you know, then you 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 know you it might happen. In other words. Yeah, and if you don't ask, you can be pretty sure you won't get it. Yeah. Right. You know. Um, Talking about having a team and really, you know, not being able to be out there all all by ourselves and doing it is something. Uh, Dr. Dupree is with us, um, and she knows all about that. She has not only is she a breast surgeon um, and a speaker, um, uh, she has a foundation. And as things began to build for her, I know that she felt pressure and a need to bring people onto her team to kind of keep things moving. Um, Beth, why don't you jump in and, and talk about that a little bit with Pernilla. Hey, Pernilla, how are you doing? Very nice. Finally meeting I, you, Beth. I am in awe of you. I, I have to tell you, when I was doing my research about you, um, first of all, it's fascinating. I love I love what you have been talking to Sue about. I've, I travel the world. I speak in different countries. And one of the most important things is for them to introduce you to their culture so that you can fall in love with the things about their culture that they love. And I found one of the hardest things about going to China was um, when I met with my interpreter the night before my lecture in front of 3,500 um, Asian surgeons, and they're learning what I'm saying. I'm thinking, I have no idea what this person is saying. You know, I know exactly what I'm saying, but the interpreter, it was completely up to them, and I have no way of knowing, you know, what they're exactly saying. So I can't imagine doing a business deal, um, wondering how that interpretation is coming through to the people that you're there with. So I give you massive kudos because in my lectures, at least my slides were there. They were translated by a surgeon. So I kind of figured that the Chinese characters gave some meaning to it. But if you're doing a business deal, um, that's that's got to be a lot of trust because somebody is, is, is using your information to, to get to that place. So um, kudos to you. And one of the things I have to say about 2009 – you wrote um, Education for Life, New Year, New Opportunity, um, and this resonated me, with me for many reasons. It could be because my second book that I'm writing is called Shifting Gears, but you talked in here about at the end of a year, you know, and you're looking forward to the next year, you know, be a mentor, be a motivator, and be a maverick. And I think Sue will tell you that those are, like, if I, those are things that I, I live by that, um, I live by though that that kind of credo because if you can't help somebody else and give them the best of who you are, then when you're no longer here, you're gone. Absolutely. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, and I love and the so, I love the word maverick. That's a great word. And I think you're both be mavericks. Be one kind and do something <laughs> some of those things that you did 
that you did not get to do previously. Follow the dreams. Make them come true by helping others. You help yourself, and you learn so much more about your own potential. And talk about, like, being a great leader and someone who absolutely um, is instilling that in the people that they're around. I just, I, I loved it. Um, and, you know, I was very excited to see that to see that you were going to be a guest on the show because it cannot be easy to, I can't imagine, I listen, I, I did study abroad. I went to Hawaii because I didn't want to learn a different language because I, I didn't, you know, I didn't have that in me at that point in time to say, hey, I'm going to go to Europe and learn a new language and immerse myself. And, you know, hindsight's 2020. I wish I could do it now, but the fact that you um, have, you know, done what you've done in your life and taken on these challenges is um, kudos. It's it's fabulous. Well, thank you. I think I think I think that, that both you and, and and Sue as well. One of the big things for for you as mentors to people like me is seeing all the things that you juggle. Your surgeon, your speaker, you uh, speak on the on the show here. I think it's the diversity because women are fantastic at multitasking, and that means you can be you can be a maverick and you can do all the other things at the same time. But the older the older we get, the more fearful we often get of making mistakes. However, all statistics in the majority of the developing countries are showing that we open businesses later in life as women. So we should be more courageous, not less. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I see it. And I don't, I mean, I, I look at fear. Sometimes when when something brings you fear, it excite, it, it, it raises a level of some chemical in your body that excites you to a point where, you know, just like if you're getting ready to jump off a cliff or jump into a, a swimming pool, um, it's that sense that you get before you do it. Um, that can sometimes be that instigator to get you to actually say, you know what, I'm going to go after this because the fact that it incites that that feeling inside of you, um, I mean, I see it with people all the time when they're beginning new businesses. Sometimes you have to get that sense. You have to have that feeling within your body to be able to step out of your comfort zone and into a place that can not only change your life but can change the lives of those around you. Exactly, and I think was it – was it not Roosevelt who said, what, what, what was it, the only thing we fear, have to fear, it's fear itself? Yes. Right. 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 That's a great, that's a great one. That's a beautiful quote, yeah. Yeah. And, and I did, I did notice that you're not that active on Facebook. I love that. But your, your last um, Facebook profile picture, I'm also a beekeeper. So do you oh, still yeah. keep bees in Canada? And if so, I need to know what strain can live through these god-awful winters. <laughs> no, this is actually, this is from way in the mountains in Colombia, um, in, in a very little place in the mountains where they were trying to grow um, eucalyptus trees in, in, um, over the beehives so the yeah. honey would naturally get a, a faint taste of eucalyptus. It's not yeah, I, I planted I planted lavender all around my hives, hoping to get lavender honey, oh, and now I, I just have you. to get my my bees have to be tough enough to make it through the winter here for multiple winters, which it's not that easy. I think I need to buy my bees from Nova Scotia or someplace really north where where they're already you know used to the the deadly cold. <laughs> yeah, 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 that might be. Yeah, I'm that's as again, man, you can't be good at everything. I'm not great at Facebook. 
Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's nothing to worry about. He was good at that stuff. He was very good at that stuff. I'm, I'm kind of, I kind of dabble with it, but uh, I did get, I, I did, you know, I was able to go to your page, and I, I have my same pictures of me holding my beehives and uh, the, the, the frames, and patients are like, "Do you really do that?" I'm like, "No, I just post for the pictures." What do you think? You know. <laughs> Well, you know, ladies, I can't chime in on this conversation. I know nothing of you bees. Have a, you have a great beekeeper right next door to you. You haven't introduced me to you. Sue has like a world-class beekeeper who's your neighbor. She's hiding him from me. Yeah, Dr. Bob. I, Dr. Bob. <laughs> but you, but you, get the, you get the mentor price on Facebook and social media management, Sue. Okay, I'll take that. I'll take that. Uh, Pernilla, listen, I want to make sure we get time to talk about the organization you're involved with, Women on Their Way. W-O-W. I, I want to know what the, that organization is doing and, and um, why you decided to, to be on that board. I'm not on the board of that one. I'm a volunteer mentor to the Danish organization called Women on Their Way, W-O-W. Mm-hmm. Um, I am a volunteer mentor to the Center for Women in Business in Canada. That's out of the Mount St. Vincent. Okay. And I'm a volunteer mentor to something called AFRIT which is um, the Association of Female Entrepreneurs in Trinidad and Tobago. So that's kind of three places in the world where I think I could make a difference to women. And in, 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 in the spirit of fairness, I'm not going to promote one or the other. Okay, okay. Um, but basically, these are three places in the world where women come together in three very different organizations with three very different mandates, and they are awesome, awe-inspiring, and kick-butt ladies. <laughs> <laughs> well, you but, uh, I, I may be a mentor, but they inspire me every day. Yeah. Tell me what you think some because there are there's just an abundance of organizations um and women's networking groups on a global level which is just fantastic and unbelievable and we're seeing um a shift and we're um we're certainly, you know, helping each other in many many ways. What do you think are some actionable items that we can do as women? to um, kind of move things along a little bit more quickly? Well, um, I have a little bit of an ambivalent relationship to um, affirmative action and quotas for women on boards and all this. Mm -hmm. Uh, I, I think that what you need to do is women like you, women like Beth, women like a lot of your, your, um, your participants on the show, those are, you are the ones who go out and sit on board, showcase what is possible, sharing in it in the media as you are, living it as Beth is, speaking about it in the world. And that will encourage other women to take the step and it will encourage those environments that can enable them mm-hmm. to participate, but to legislate it or guide it with numbers. I, I don't believe in that approach, and I don't believe that we as women should focus solely on networks in which there are women. I believe that we will get a lot of support from a Center for Women in Business or an organization, but I get equally support from an inspiration from 
men on LinkedIn or in my other networks. Yes, agreed, agreed. I, I think that's a really big piece of it, you know, isn't it? To to um, encourage the men to speak out on behalf of the importance of women as leaders is a big difference. The, the, the important thing is that when, at least in my line of, of work, when when you're out in the world, you negotiate with women, you negotiate with men, mm-hmm. with young, with old, different cultures. Um, and and in my experience, some of the, the, the biggest mentors to me are men. Some of the biggest mentors here are also women. They, they come from both worlds. And if we are targeted around it and if we are if we're showcasing it like you are, like Beth is, then it will be easier for those environments who perhaps not have been penetrated by the same participation of women to let power women like you in, get you on board, get you involved, and and do some of the the make some of those trailblazers like you um, appear, appear mentors. Does that make sense? Yes, yes. Yep. I, I so appreciate yep. your saying that because I do, you know, that's what we're trying to do, the awareness and uh, the showcasing of women who have been out there and done it well and done it right, I think is always where the great lessons come from. Um, and, of course, you know, Pernilla, you and I spoke about the fact that it's not just showcasing the work that you've done, but really talking about the things that were difficult for you, that you are, you know, as successful as you are, you're also a human with certain insecurities and doubts. And, um, you know, being vulnerable and honest about that part of it is what really makes a listener take action. You know, I, I feel that they're not just inspired, they take action when they see that, um, you know, someone with equal challenges has been able to be successful. Well, it's like Beth is saying, you're out in a country somewhere, you don't speak the language, you don't know what the translator is saying. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> because you're struggling because you don't know who to keep eye contact with, the translator yeah. or the person he's or she's speaking to. And as confident as that the track record, the professional achievements I had when I came here, they just went to zero. So all of a sudden it wasn't it wasn't my capabilities starting over again that I was insecure of. It was my language. And things things that I never thought would be an obstacle before. Exactly. Yeah. Well, what a great show. Uh, Pernilla, thank you so much for joining us, calling in from Canada. I hope you'll stay in touch. Uh, Dr. Dupree, thank you for jumping in from the hospital. It's all good. And I appreciate uh, your sharing your story, Pernilla. Thank you so much. Pernilla, take care. Thank you, you too. Thank you for having me on. Have a great week, everyone. Bye-bye. You too.